Danger, danger, Will Robinson. <laughs> yeah, that's a scary-looking can. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Riding Gravel Radio Ranch. This is your host, Guitar Ted, and I'm with New York Roll again in the Stonecastle Estates, here for episode number 109. 109. Yes. And today, I bought us some... Black Rifle Espresso Mocha, because when you go to work tonight, I want you to be alert. <laughs> I think I'll chase it with the, uh, with the, what is this? Uh, that's just LaCroix. I think LaCroix. I, is that the passion fruit? Grapefruit. Grapefruit. I think I'll chase it with that. I'll have this first. Well, I need to make some corrections. On the last show, I dorked up. I misspoke. Okay. Yeah. Forgive me, Gravel, for I have made a mistake. Uh, Leadville is part of the Grand Prix, the Lifetime Grand Prix, mm-hmm. so I, I stand corrected. So, yeah, I kind of remember that from last year. There was a good race good race output on that, and um, that was my only correction from last show. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Self-correcting. <coughs> yeah, we admit our mistakes here at Riding Gravel Radio Ranch. Oh, let's not go that far. <laughs> <laughs> and I'll break into... Well, what are you doing over there? I'm just bringing up my post today that we're going to reference uh, if it comes up. I'll cover some cold weather stuff while you're doing that real quick. Yep. Go ahead. Um, someone brought up the natural oils to me off offline, and they were shocked. They looked into it. They're like, and you're right. And I'm like, can, can you see what I'm holding up, Mark? Uh, some blue. It says, United States Army Alaska Northern Warfare Training Center Cold Weather Operations Manual. Yep. Oh, yeah. I still have it. <laughs> um, there's some other things out of here I'd like to share real quick. Uh, yeah, go ahead. Laundry. Use powder detergent. Do not use a petroleum-based product. Um, that way you are not putting, not clogging the pores with petroleum. So the oil and all that. So yeah, your, yeah. Your tie pods. Mm-hmm. If you think about it, it's really common sense, but until someone points it out, you're like, mm. <laughs> you know. So anyways. But I've it's been, easier. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Do the hard right, not the easy wrong. Yeah. Um, so I would recommend if you have stuff that's very particular, like merino wool, anything natural, I would, me personally, knowing what I know with that, I would promote a powdered laundry detergent. Um, mm. And also... Another thing, I just had it on my head. Uh, one thing we didn't we address, but we didn't say the key to surviving cold weather is keeping it dry. That's like yeah, everything right. across the board. But mm-hmm. I think we should have just said that. Just right. keep it dry. And the other thing is keep it loose. So when you're dressing in layers, you don't want anything tight. Um, guys, right. no tube tops. <laughs> <laughs> not gonna judge you, but I'm just telling yep. you, you know, it's not the time. Um, but we kind of get ourselves into the pickle with the lycra we wear. So it's right. a mixed bag, I'm telling you. Um, choose your poison. Choose it wisely in that case. Yep. Um, but so keep your layers loose. And also the other thing that they preached at, uh, of course, this is 2004, 2005, they preached was natural fibers. So go yep. to your wools. Stay away from your uh, polypro mixes. They're mm-hmm. good, but when you're trying to – Go that extra temperature swing change, go to natural fibers. Right. That's a recap of things I think we should put out there as well. Um, sorry, that was no. All. That's that's great. Right. So you're telling me to keep it dry. Keep it dry, especially your sense of humor. Does that go with martinis too? <laughs> yeah, you. I, I I like the joke of where you have the bartender call the vermouth yeah. at the phone. <laughs> Oh, hey, what's going on here? Mic problems. Mic problems. Wiggle right. it. Hold on here. And I'll just annoy you guys with my talk. I can hear you wiggling it. All right, there we go. All right. We'll try that. So, um, big news uh, this week. Monday, wow. we found out that... We got a big news button over here. I don't know. Hit one. Sad trombone. <laughs> All right, let's try a different one. Ooh, mystery. Oh, yeah. Okay, we like that. All right, so um, Monday we came uh, to light via bikepacking.com's website 
that Specialized and uh, Diamondback had cut their adventure athletes. Okay. Um, so support uh, contracts were terminated and people were let go. Not good news. Not good news. And uh, then there was a Facebook post that went along with that. And in the comments, someone mentioned that they had uh, information that Salsa Cycles had done, had quietly done the same. Have we able to confirm that? I haven't confirmed that. I haven't heard any more about that. So we cannot confirm it. That's just a comment that I saw. Mm. But uh, it seems like this is, in, you know, through comments and, and uh, things on social media, it seems to be um, that this is the case industry-wide. So it's not just specialized. Yeah. Although anytime specialized does something like this, that's negative. Then, you know, people get online and go, oh, yeah, big, bad, specialized people are terrible again. It's easy you know, to hate on the top easy. dog. Yeah. Well, you know, they kind of dug their, made their bed back in the day when they the had epic. a few stupid lawsuits, right? All right. So. Their last stupid one was the <coughs> poor guy up in Canada. Roubaix. Yeah. The Roubaix bike shop or whatever it was. Yeah. That's, uh, and so people bag on specialized because of that. But in this case. You need to look beyond that and look at what's going on here in the industry. And so I wrote a blog post about it, which I'll link in the show notes. Um, but the thing is that we're in a unique situation right now with the industry having gone bananas production-wise because of the pandemic and a perceived uh, demand yeah. that you know, we're starting to learn that it wasn't really there. Um, a lot of industry pundits now are, are saying that what really happened was uh, there was several years of sales cycles jammed into about 18 months of time. So sales basically were pulled ahead. Mm-hmm. That's the feeling now. Yeah. Yep. And uh, so demand has fizzled now that everybody's got what they want and they're not in the market to buy. And you know, um, congruently with that, you have inflation issues Yeah. now and, um, all the, uh, the, you know, the bills coming due for all the pandemic aid that was given, you know, uh, we don't have that anymore. Correct. So that's off, off the table. And so that results in a downturn in business and top off that with all of the, slow supply chain issues that are now starting to get resolved. So all these big orders that people put in in 2021 are starting to land on shore now. Yeah. And warehouses are starting to fill up and there's nobody to sell this stuff to. And on the flip side, uh, China is coming out of their zero COVID policy. Right. And from some of the reports I have, it's kind of a mixed bag. Uh, from where I understood, from the one, there was 20,000 people over the weekend in Shanghai in the hospital with flu-like symptoms. Yeah. And just think that's a short order. Granted, 20,000 people in Shanghai may not be a bag of beans, but mm-hmm. I'm not confident, but I think the population there is fairly substantial. It yeah. might be 12 million, I'm guessing, off the top of my mm-hmm. head. Yeah, they got a lot of people. So twenty thousand isn't a lot of people, but that's also a drastic spike when you go from zero. Right, and we don't know if they're underreporting or. That's always been an issue with China. Yeah, you know, any data you get out of there is usually underreported. <clears throat> yeah, that's been a fear of people in the in the health sector for ever since the pandemic started. That yeah, China was going to end up being a big problem. Well, the only reason why. Up. Only reason why I brought that up is that's only going to impact manufacturing. Right. And China is kind of the world's factory, which is why you start seeing all the political shifting to insourcing elsewhere. Right. So not trying to get into politics, just trying (laughs) to look at the big picture of of all this. But granted, most bicycle stuff that I'm aware of is made in Taiwan. Yep. The Far East Taiwan. So, um, it's still got to get shipped over here, and yeah. China controls most of the shipping lanes ships, and all that, so, yep. especially from that area of the world. Yeah, so um, all these things are starting to pile on, and 
brands and companies are feeling the effects of it. Um, some of the experts are saying now that it's going to take two to three years for this to shake out. And so if you're a business person and cash flow is tight and your suppliers are asking for bills to get paid and you don't have the money to do it right now because sales yeah. are flat or going down, you need to start looking at your budget what, what you're spending money on. Yeah. And one of the things that I think is expendable in this time is your promotions and marketing. That's and where people pull back because it's hard to see the return investment on that. It's, it's nefarious, you know, you don't know what it is. So when an accountant looks at that, he goes, what are we getting out of this? Well, uh, yeah, we'll cut it. Yeah. And I give you a chance to explain yourself, you know? And, and I've been on this podcast before preaching anti-sponsorship before, right? Right. But my overall argument was to lower the cost of the product for everyone. Right. Um, this, I'm not dancing around saying, yay. No, it's actual people are being impacted. Right. Which has a different light. There's one thing for someone to age out or or to underperform so they no longer get signed and the business says, you know what, we're just not going to fill that slot. And as these people age out or as these people leave the industry, we, we just won't refill that slot and then we'll keep be able to keep our overhead low. That's ideally the way I would like to think that would go. This is not the way I would want it to go. No. Right. Yeah. And then, you know, the, it's a complex issue. So you have all this is happening right now, right at the time the holidays appear, you know, and, and yeah. it's, it's quite literally the darkest period of the year, which, you know, laugh if you want to, but that, that has a bearing on everything. Yeah. Mental, and, mental health alone. Right. What do you need? 20 minutes of daylight to be, right. to recharge yourself. Yeah. And then you have this kind of a thing pulled out from India if you're yeah. one of these people that gets you know, their, their contract terminated. Uh, that was money that they were counting on, they were budgeting with, and, and it was, a, you know, an important part of their life yeah. uh, to make their life work the way it is. So that's quite a shock. And, you know, I don't want to belittle people's uh, situations and feelings that they have. I think it's very serious. But, you know, on the flip side with the companies, they obviously need to make some sort of decisions just to, you know, to keep themselves viable. It's how they do that uh, yeah. that might be questionable. And I don't think the actual need to do that is a questionable thing. Because you want these companies to, to exist, right? So let me put my MBA hat on here, right? Okay. <laughs> me and my little MBA in financial BS that I do. All right. So if you're looking at this and you're sitting in a meeting room, this timing makes sense. I don't know what these companies' end of financial year report is. It, they, they could be following the tax law and, you know, like the company I work for, their end of their fiscal year is the end of October. Right. All right. So another employer I worked for, which was, you know, Department of Defense, end of fiscal year for them was the end of September. Mm -hmm. So I believe the tax code allows companies to choose when their end of fiscal year is and yeah. that's what they pay taxes on for okay mm -hmm. so the thought process is um i think they could be 90 days back when i say back from january 1st back to like september i think they're allowed to go back 90 days mm -hmm. i think they can go forward but i think they can go forward um no, they can't go forward. They have to stay back behind the January because the whole point is that gap, it's really not a gap because they're going to go September to September, right? Right. So that gap allows those corporations, allows those businesses to develop and also document their taxes better, okay? So it's supposed to be time to give them to the April 15th date to mm. prepare their taxes better. Okay. So they still have to file by April 15th. Mm -hmm. So where I'm going with all this nerdism is looking at it within an organization, looking at it from financial black and white dollars on the board, not thinking of people, just thinking about how do we keep this organization afloat and impact the least amount of people this time of year makes sense to cut people. It sucks. It's the holidays. 
But from a business point where you were going with it, the timing's rough. But you and I did have a side conversation, and I've been in rooms where they're like, you know, we really don't want to get rid of these folks. We want to keep them on. Let's see what happens for another 30 days. You go another 30 days. Okay, we can still keep them on. And that could have happened too. Specialized could have said, hey, you know what? We don't want to cut people because that, that sends a bad message. Anytime right. you unemploy anyone, anytime you yeah. cut someone out, unless it's for some um, violation of some sort right. of uh, marketability, I'll just keep it simple. Yeah. As long as they're representing the company in a positive way. Um. You don't want people to leave your organization on poor footing, on poor terms. So this isn't something I don't think any company wants to do. It's right. a black eye for everyone. Right. And I, I think it's a, to, their, to their advantage to keep people employed, to keep people um, sponsored. And I'm throwing sponsorship and employed loosely together. I'm just saying you want to keep them on your doles, basically. And that you cut riders does not look good. No. It sends a weird message. Right. But then, on top of it, what riders are they cutting? You know, so they're mm -hmm. cutting the adventure team, right? Or the right. adventure side of the business. Right. So, how does that tickle you? That tells me they don't think the money really is on the gravel side of the business, right? Well, I don't or know. they're know not that. seeing a return? I, I don't think that's... I don't think that's what they're cutting. I think they're cutting the bikepacking you know, the non-competitive side of, yeah. of things that it was, uh, I forget what the actual name of the program was. I had it written in my blog post, but, um, it was geared more towards non-competitive things. So I agree with you. There is a certain a number that has to be met to make something viable, yep. whether you're going to sell a product or whether you're going to pay a number of people, uh, What's your return on an investment or ROI as it's usually uh, expressed as? Um, you have to look at those things as a business. And if you, don't, if you aren't seeing a significant uh, return on an investment that if you lost that, it would harm the company further yeah. than keeping them would. Uh, that's kind of where, we're, where I think you fall off. And so as far as bikepacking and adventure riding goes... You know, my, my argument would be that that is a really niche part of cycling. Um, you know, when you look at how it affects people perceiving your brand, when you have literally thousands of people going to Unbound, yeah, just that one event, probably, you know, it may seem kind of strange to think that, but that one event probably outdoes all of bikepacking yeah combined I, and then you have other gravel events on top of that so if you've got athletes that are riding your brand of bike doesn't have to be specialized it could be any big brand and they're in the front of the pack and they're getting media attention and people like them whoever that might be um you know your numbers are going to look better than they would be for someone who's doing, you know, uh, point to point in Oregon and doing some Instagram stuff. And, you know, so I, t I took some time today before our podcast and I kind of looked at uh, a few of these people's Instagram follower numbers and that may not mean anything, but it's a metric. So yeah, it's a measurable data right. point, right? Right. So I, one of the people that got cut was Sarah Swallow, I believe her name was. Okay. And, uh, I had never heard of her till this happened. So, I mean, that says something and it doesn't, um, I'm maybe not into bikepacking like I should be, but I looked at her Instagram and she was, you know, in the 25, 28 K followers, which is quite a lot of people. Pretty yeah. impressive. So then I looked up some gravel riders' uh, numbers, and some of them had twice as many followers. Yeah. You know, and they're not necessarily going out and working as hard as this gal is at doing the posting and trying to make content and for that brand. But, you know, when you, if you're just looking at sheer numbers, 
the numbers and she was the she of of the people that I could um, find names for Steve Fossabinder was another one that yeah. got cut. Yep. Um, and his numbers were, were less than Sarah, even though he's been around way longer. He was at the first trans Iowa, by yeah. the way. Really? Um, yeah. <clears throat> um, nice. So he's been in that business a long time, but you know, his numbers weren't even anywhere near what some of these gravel people are pulling down yeah. for numbers on Instagram. So, uh, that to me tells me that the money's in, in gravel. I don't think that's a, arguable point at this juncture in time right. uh so if you're going to cut somewhere and make the least amount of impact uh it doesn't surprise me one bit that they cut the adventure program it just seems like that'd be your least if least damaging part to cut now is that all they're going to do well it's usually the first step in the war we're going to get yeah. into it we're going to get into something here which i think may show us all that this is just the tip of the iceberg so but as far yeah. as as far as growl uh, goes um you know i think people are going to start looking at budgets and sponsorships yeah. a lot more closely than they have in the past so i'm not trying to I don't even think I'll preface it. Just know what I'm about to say is all my opinion. Okay. I've always kind of looked at specialized. I've owned two of them. I've always kind of looked at them as, as the doctor lawyer bikes. Right. And then Trek was the also doctor lawyer bikes. Yeah. But we got some good low end stuff too. Right. Mm. And then salsa, which I was a big fanboy of for years. Salsa was kind of, you did your research, you're into something a little bit different, and these guys had a little bit, little bit different flair, a little bit different approach, and it worked a little bit better. Yeah. And I was into that. Mm-hmm. And then Salsa is now kind of, in my opinion, a department store bike that's for doctors and lawyers. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so... Shots fired. <laughs> shots fired, yeah. <laughs> but... Where I'm going with this is brands are always changing, always evolving. And I think for specialized to cut bait on an area of the industry, um, like bikepacking, is telling us something. Either the money's not there or they know their customers aren't there. They tried going there and it isn't working out. Well, maybe not to the point where it makes sense to, in this time. Well, it's always ROI, return on investment, right? Yeah. So do we know if there's any back office people that got cut as well? Like, Yeah, I know, nobody knows at like, this point. Yeah. I, I imagine, well, with the engineers I hang around, everyone giggles about working for Specialized. You just don't do it because you know it's not long-term employment. Yeah. Yeah. There's <laughs> a couple of folks that I work with that interviewed and... They're like, they got the vibe. Yeah. <laughs> well, it makes sense. Yeah. If you're a bike company, you're not. Well, I think, I yeah. think there's a, I think there's a misconception with the bike nerd community. Let's put it that way. People who have, you know, went down the rabbit hole of cycling, for, you know, they know all about the bike packing stuff. They know all about gravel. Yeah. They know all about wireless, this and that. Those people, a lot of those people don't understand the bike industry is small potatoes. It, it really is. It's not that big a deal. I don't think they're making the margins they forecast. Right. I knew one person who she rode for a company. She was sponsored by a company. And I asked her how that deal looked. She was like, I'm paying 5% above their cost right. for the bike. I'm like, they're not giving you a bike? Right. Your picture is all over everything they do. Mm-hmm. Like you're doing the events. She's like, no, I'm paying 5% above. Mm-hmm. I'm like, well, how is that compared to employee pricing? She goes, not much better. Yeah. So that's fairly common. Yeah. You know? So, I mean, there are people who are, who have better deals than that. Six Let's, figures deep. Right. Which <laughs> I still find that to be rather, rather remarkable that it would even be the case, but. I mean, people, so there's some people who are able to make somewhat of a living off this. Okay. Yeah. Let's just admit that. Uh, but for the most part, most influencers, most sponsored people ha- are, they're getting deals on stuff, but they're still paying money for it. Oh yeah. 
And as far as income goes, that's rare. I mean, there's not a lot of people making money off the bike business. It's just not common. And the bike business is like, if you go to a thing that has anything to do with automobiles, you'll find out real fast that the bike business is not that big a deal. Oh, no, it's not. I mean, the the hoopla and the, well, I just read a story today about uh, uh, up and coming electric car manufacturer in Vietnam um, called VinFast. Okay, yeah. And um, they flew, and this guy that he's like an automobile uh, journalist from Jalopnik, which is a site that covers automobiles. He started poking around and asking about this company because it's like they've just popped up on the scene in 2019 and now all of a sudden yeah. there's a huge deal. Uh, so he started asking questions and poking around. Well, they invited him and a whole plane load of other journalists and potential buyers of their car to go to Vietnam price for free. Yeah. Right. So they flew 8,000 mile round trip, wined and dined him for three days. Mm-hmm. And yeah. that was the third trip like that, that, that this company had done. Yeah, and they haven't even sold a car in the United States yet. And they're priming the pumps. <laughs> right. I've, and the job I've had, I've had offers like that from companies I've worked with as vendors. And I'm like, no, I, I can't not accept that business trip. I have to have right. my organization pay to go over there. I mean, they want to fly me to Switzerland. Yeah. God. <laughs> right. So, I mean, you know, the bike, the bike business is nothing. No, it's on that stage. They, they don't even, they don't even get in the back door. Right. If, as far as, as far as the money gets thrown around. For, for the Midwest people, go to Chicago in September. The next one should be 2024. Go to IMTS. It's a machining show. There's, you know, machine tool companies, your Haas's, your Akuma's, your Gleason's, your Mazak's, anything you think would be in a CNC machine shop, your Fanuc robots, your Doosan lays, all this stuff. And it's down there at the McCormick Center. The amount of money that goes into that one-week show. I mean, they're setting up CNC lays. They're setting up giant robots are lifting Corvettes and moving them around. I mean, they go into great detail. So they literally roll in a week before and they leave a week after. So for three weeks, that place is owned by machining companies. And mm-hmm. just the money that's just hemorrhaging during those three weeks. Right. You know. Yeah. And, and, and you, if anybody's, you know, not been to a bicycle trade show, <laughs> it's, it's like a county fair compared to that. Yeah. It's, it doesn't even come close. It doesn't even come close. So when we talk about, you know, in, in context here, how athletes and influencers and sponsored people get product and get money from the bike business, it's totally on the small potatoes side. Yeah. Like one of the, one of the people who got cut, I was reading in another story in, in Velo News, uh, <clears throat> she was getting 1500 bucks. Uh a month, I think it was. Okay. It was just part of her, part of her uh, income, you know. Yeah. It was a significant part of it. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. She owned a bike shop too, you know. And so she had a business on the side, but she was making it all work with the, these couple, two or three things that she had going on. Um, and I, I think that's even an unusual amount of money for people to yeah. be getting. I, I There's just not a lot of people out there getting that kind of money. And, you know... Well, a lot of these things you see on Instagram and, and people that are hustling uh, product, they're, they're working their tails off time-wise. If they broke it down into what they were getting per hour, it would you would laugh at how hard these people work to get the money they get. Yeah. You know, I look at somebody like Marley Blonsky, who is, she's got um, a, a lot of products that she's... Um, representing Cannondale's one is their bike sponsor pretty much um you know I don't I don't know what Cannondale throws at her for money or if they just throw bikes at her what what her gig is but man I mean ever since she's um cranked up her her Instagram influencer deal um that she's got going it's like non-stop content 
And, you know, you've got to, and I know what it takes to make content. We're here doing it right now. (laughs) (laughs) But, uh, you know, that takes time and effort and your creativity that goes into that. And whatever she's making off this, it's it's hard-earned money. Yeah. You know, I don't. I don't belittle her at all. Don't get me wrong. No, she's hustling. She's hustling. But on the other side of that is her time versus the income. We also don't know what she's doing day to day. Right. Um, I'm not trying to crap on her. No, I have no idea if she's got a day job. Exactly. That's kind of where I was going to go. I mean, if her job is to make content all day, I mean, you run your blog. Mm -hmm. I mean, I imagine that takes you two hours a day. Yeah, I don't know. I should time it. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I'm thinking it takes you... Idea generation time. Mm-hmm. All right, I'm going to do X. And that probably right. is probably your long lead time. You've mm-hmm. been doing your blog for, what, 15 years? Yep, well, a little more than that. Okay. Almost 18. I'm sorry. I, no, it's okay. I shortchanged <laughs> you. Sorry, buddy. Since 2005. All right. Anyways, you go to idea generation, and then you've been doing this so long that you can just probably type it up and probably be done within 45 minutes with a proofread and then a second proofread. I'm, I'm well, guessing. If I could type, you'd be right. But I can't type, so that slows me way down. Hunt so I'm a bad example. But you know where I'm going. I'm going to like, your time is more spent for right. in the idea generation time. Right. Because you probably lay it out in your head. Okay. Oh, yeah. I want, I want to be here at the X mark, but I also want to start over here in yeah. the valley of whatever. Right. So. Um, but it's hard, to, it's hard to put dollar value on ideas, you know. And that's why we have patents. Right. Right. <laughs> exactly. No, but getting back to it is it's that um it's that these people are aren't I don't I don't, I don't, I think some people have the perception that these people are on the gravy train and it's just not the truth. You know, it's just, they're working real hard at it. And so I don't uh I don't think it's a good thing to see this happen. Uh I think it's a portent of times to come which we'll get into here in a minute. But um, yeah, I mean, my point uh, in my blog post was that people are so short-sighted that they just see specialized and they start going off on specialized when it's just, this goes a lot deeper than that. And I think our conversation has kind of pointed some of that out. I, I would say it, the four bike companies, I would always watch to see where we're going, at least in the American market. I would watch... Specialize, Cannondale, Trek, and the fourth one? Giant. Yep, Giant. Yep. And for the hipsters out there, Surly. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, um, let's move on to uh, something that came up this morning on social media, which was a lot of people are starting to report that they're hearing bike companies are having uh, financial troubles. And it's due to the all of what we were talking about, which should be no surprise at this point. They've got tons of, well, it's kind of a weird situation because they have tons of inventory in certain categories, but there's other categories where they still don't have anything. So like on the high end, it's real hard to get high end parts because during the pandemic, all these orders were coming in for the what seven eight nine yeah fifteen hundred dollar to seven hundred dollar bike range uh all the orders were coming in for that stuff so that was the stuff they made first and they kind of put the uh, the high-end stuff on the back burner yeah so back burner uh stuff like your wheels your component groups your brakes you know things like that are hard to get uh a lot of people are having a hard time finding stuff but if you wanted a hybrid bike for a bike path riding there's a million of them (laughs) yeah you know nobody wants them right now so it's hard to find buyers for those so it's kind of a double-edged sword at this point sounds like their marketing team missed the mark on the uh projections well it's interesting because i'm going to go back to this point that we made earlier where i believe more and more as time goes by that what happened was we had like three to four years of sales cycles crammed into 18 months yeah Um, whereas back when this was happening, people were like, Oh, look, all these new people are coming into cycling and we're going to retain those new people once this pandemic's over and bicycling business will be on the upswing. That's clearly not the case. It's 
clearly not the case. But there's still people out there saying, well, we have more writers than ever, and we have blah, 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 more participation than ever. And, and I'm like, well, your numbers may be up there, but I tell you what, the people I saw writing during the pandemic aren't writing anymore. Um, <laughs> I mean, our local group ride, I think we... If we count last summer as a non-pandemic year, I'm cringing at that. I, it's still in there. Don't don't send your hate towards me. But <laughs> I'm just saying, if you're looking at last summer, we 20, were 2022. Yeah, 2022. Yeah. Um, for the record, Iowa never locked down, so we have an skewed we have an skewed right. interpretation of the pandemic. Right. Um, I think we went a week. Well, it was like a month, 28 days. She, she, the governor shut everything down for 28 days to start out. Yeah, but you were still allowed 25% in the restaurants. Well, that was after that. It, it was like completely shut down for 28 days. Oh, we days. could do takeout. That's right. Yeah. We could do takeout. I can't. Anyway, it was a blur to me. Mm-hmm. I just remember working and I was working from home. Anyways. Um, uh, so we have a, we have a different, you and I have a different perception yeah. of the pandemic than other people. Right, wrong, or indifferent, our experiences were different. Yep. And my experience was different than yours. Yep. And we, we have to go forward understanding that. But um, we've probably retained in the local community three riders on the road, like on the yeah. road group rides, probably about three. Yeah. Um, and that's – and we – and we lost probably about five, not yeah. from the pandemic, from, you know, life stuff. Mm-hmm. People, guys, stop getting married. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I think that, it, you know, I just remember 2020 going out and I'd see families riding together. And I oh, would yeah. see people I'd never seen before riding. And those people disappeared. And that happened in 2021. Yeah. It- so those people went out and bought bikes in 2020 to, for, out with their whole family. Yep. And they have bikes. They don't want to buy more bikes. And they pretty much quit riding bikes because now everything else is opened up and they've got other stuff to do. So I think that's probably a truer picture of what's going on nationwide. And I think that's a big reason why you're seeing the drop off in, in uh, demand is because of that. And people already bought their bikes. So, you know, if you spent... You know, I mean, for a lot of people, 1500 bucks is a lot of money for a bike. Yeah. I mean, people listening to this might laugh at that, but that's, that's big dollars to a lot of people. What do I want that chunk of steel in the corner for? I'm going to pay 1500. It doesn't even have a motor. Right. Right. So, you know, that's a, that's more bike than a lot of people think they'll ever need for the rest of their life. I mean, that's the, that's the philosophy a lot of people have. I mean, I got into it with my dad. Yeah. (laughs) My dad. He went and bought a, uh, like a, it's, he bought a three speed internal hub, little mm-hmm. beach cruiser. Mm-hmm. And, um, he thinks that's all he needs for the campground. Cause he bought it just to tool around the campground. Right. He just has a goal. I want to do X amount of laps a day. Right. And, um, <clears throat> I stuck him on my CAD 13 without, you know, without clips or anything. Well, I had the clippings on it, but you know, without him clipping in and he took a couple of cranks. He's like, I get it. (laughs) (laughs) But, um, I guess where I really want to go with my comment is I, I got into cycling through the back door, um, ran into a guy who has since passed on. He rolled over a vehicle during some special forces training stuff during a training exercise. Um, good guy. But, uh, used to go rock climbing with him when I lived in northern New York up by Fort Drum. We would disappear into the Adirondacks. Mm-hmm. And I just remember one day he's like, hey, uh, can we leave at 10 today to go rock climbing? And can I stick my bike in your car? <laughs> and I'm like, what the? <laughs> Dude, I live up here in Theresa. You're down there in Watertown. That's like 20 miles away. And he rode up there. Yeah. He rode up there. Put his bike in back of my car, and I saw bikes in a completely different direction at that yep. moment. Yep. Rolled up on Le Monde, that yellow-blue, I think it was Elbe Hoops. Elbe Duez, yeah. Yeah. Um, yep. 
Those are cool bikes. Yeah, he rolled up on one of those, and uh, so I saw that. And then a couple months later, I move out into Iowa, mm-hmm. and I link up with a guy who moved out here from Wisconsin. So you already know that's a bad influence right there. Um, <laughs> Cheese and beer. <laughs> that's how I got into the back door of bikes. I mean, there was this guy. He was like, "Hey." Let's ride our bikes down to the bar. I'm like, mm-hmm. why are we going to ride bikes to the bar? He goes, so we don't get a DUI, idiot. Yep. And that's kind of what got me into bike riding was. Right. It was a different mode of transportation to keep me out of jail. Yep. And yeah, and I think that's valid for a lot of people. Um, there's a lot of people who ride recreationally, and that's the reasons why they ride, right? We got. But, but getting back to this whole demand thing and what happened, um, there's people who think that. They still believe that, you know, uh, cycling is going to be on the upswing and this whole supply chain deal is a bump in the road. But, you know, I just don't think that's the case. I think what the case is, is that you're going to have bike companies that are going to be receiving tons of back orders. They're over their skis. Yeah, they're over their skis, way over their skis. Demand is fizzled. It's gone. And bills are coming due. So there was a tweet this morning that said that um, my noted cycling uh, journalist from England that I know, Carlton Reed, and he said, his tweet said that Giant is asking for uh, debt postponement on from, from their suppliers. <laughs> That's They're not, one of, I don't mean to laugh. That's, when you hear that, button the hatches. Right. Right, that should send a lot of big red flags up. AKA, all our listeners, start watching for sales. Well, there's going to be sales on certain things. Will our listeners want those certain things? I'm saying that I think a lot of this product that's coming in is going to be your bike path, recreational level kind of thing. Hybrid stuff. Right. But in the meantime, um, you know, until this all gets straightened out, which some experts are saying it's going to be up to two years, that seems to be the common number I'm seeing. I've seen some people say it's going to take up to three years. It's usually on the short side, it takes two years to change a market. Yep. Right? Yeah. And so, you know, in the meantime, I think what you're going to see is 2023 and 2024, you're going to see huge changes in this bike business scene that we, what we know now won't exist in a year. Can, can I, can I tell you what I'm hoping for? What's that? E-bikes go away. <laughs> it ain't going to happen. I know, I know, I know, I know. <laughs> That's actually one of the strongest uh, metrics in the business right now, which I think is probably going to save a lot of companies bacon. Get off my lawn! <laughs> in fact, I think you're going to see a lot of people pivot to that because that's going to save their company. You know, I think you're going to see a huge competition in the e-bike world because that's where the money's being made right now. People yeah. want e-bikes. But it's not, if they're smart, they're going to make ones that the average person wants, not the dual suspension enduro e-bike, which has a very limited appeal. Yeah, I mean, the e-bikes are a lot of investment. And that's a lot of capital to stick in a cardboard box and stick over for a hunch. Mm-hmm. Um, the problem here is, too, that you've got companies like Volvo and... Uh, Harley Davidson and, you know, outside the bike market that are investing heavily into the e-bikes. I, I think I saw Yamaha. Yeah, Yamaha's, Yamaha's going to promote their own brand here. Um, so, you know, the bike, the bike, and we talked about how the bike business is nowhere near the horsepower that the automobile business has. So when you have, you know, Volvo and Yamaha and these other companies like that coming into the e-bike world and they're selling bikes at car dealerships, well, you, these, these, we need to stop looking at. Um, we need to start looking at what those companies are great at. Mm-hmm. Um, those companies, I'll say, it, suck at building bikes. Well, yeah, they do now. But, but <laughs> they're great at a manu- establishing and maintaining and improving upon a manufacturing process. Right. So, if I was specialized, if I was Trek. I would, I would not be too stoked about that. No, because so they that's, that's they outsource problem. most of theirs. Right. Where's most of their assembly done? Yeah, yeah. yeah. They, they don't even make any of their own parts. No. 
So they you, outsource everything. So your mom makes their stuff, you know. I guarantee you right now, there's some dude in back of Volvo who's smoking a cigarette who's like, you're telling me I can weld by hand again? I can get rid of this robot? <laughs> Spit a big old plug on the floor and goes, heck yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, I, you know, and that's going to impact um, the, the second tier and third tier brands, which a lot of the people I'm listening to are saying there's going to be a lot of consolidation. So that's going to be the number one term for 2023 is consolidation. I wonder how this is going to affect Allied because they do their own manufacturing with the frames down there from what I understand. Yeah. Um, I think they'll, you know, they'll they, probably they, that's a different market. That's a way high end. No, I, I understand that, but I'm just looking at this from my manufacturing lens. Mm-hmm. You know, they, they own a good portion of their part. Yeah. Um, I shouldn't say their part good portion of their frame manufacturing yep um but then again bikes are pretty much universal parts right you know you design your frame around the available parts kind of like how you make a car you design it around the available bearings right um yes there's a lot more and it goes into that that i'm just saying you try to lower your manufacturing costs by using standard parts right. yep yep yeah so, um, you know, the bike business is going to be in turmoil. And if we talk about what we were talking about earlier with athlete activation and sponsorships and teams and things like that, and it seemed like a lot of that was on the upswing in 2021 and 2022. Yeah. Um, event, sponsorship, that kind of stuff. It's going to be, you know, is it, a lot of that's going to dry up. A lot of that's going to dry up. I don't think there will be money. I think there will be stickers on the table. Yeah. And I'm not I'm trying to be snarky. Right. It's. I think right. we're in for some lean times as far as sponsorship. Yep. yep. Going back to kind of where I would like to see the bike industry go to, and I'd like to see where race directors go to, is getting, you know, hey, Trek, can you pay for the insurance for this event? And you would be the headliner. Guess what? We're lowering the entry fee. Yeah. You may not even have to pay an entry fee because guess what? Uncle Truck paid it. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that would do more for the bike industry and the bike company long term. Right. You know. Than sponsoring an athlete. Correct. <laughs> yeah. I got you. Yeah. I you know, there's gonna have to be a a, a rethink on a lot how a lot of this stuff gets done. Yeah. For sure. Uh the same old way of doing things isn't gonna cut it. And that's why I think there's going to be a lot of upheaval and a lot of change and how that affects gravel riding and, and events is, is going to be interesting because, um, you know, we're yet, we've yet to see how inflation and the economy is going to affect things like unbound gravel who opens their lottery the first week of January. Oh yeah. Uh, we're, we've yet to see how that's going to affect things like the Belgian waffle ride franchise and things like that. You know, are people going to flock to those events like they did in 2022 or are we going to start seeing a downturn in, in event attendance because things are too expensive to go to? I don't see a down. I, I see a downturn this year, but I would Sitting here looking into 2023, I don't see. I know I said I see a downturn this year. <laughs> um, I think we might see a slight drop, but I would see it more of a leveling out. Yeah, I think we might see a comparable to next year to where you're like, yeah. eh, yeah, okay. 200 less people applied for the lottery for Unbound. We'll never know those numbers, right? But I imagine the field's still going to sell out. Yeah, would think um, so. Um, I think from a standpoint of uh, some of these top end athletes because of their sponsorships and their, and the way their contracts work, we may not see as many of them at the events that we used to. Yeah. Um, some of those fields might be a little thinner. Uh, I know that lifetime grand prix is, that's a tough one for somebody who signs up for it because you got six. I think they added a couple of events <clears throat> last year it was six. I think they are up to eight now. I, yeah. I could be wrong about that. But Mike Meany and I went through it the other night. I think it was eight. Yeah, I, I want to say they added two. I want to say Cusher and the Tusher was in there, <coughs> Leadville, um, mm-hmm. Unbound. Big Sugar. Big Sugar Steamboat. Yeah. Or SBT. 
Yeah, that's my question. Who's the real champagne of gravel? Is that Steamboat or is that Core 4? Because I've been hearing those guys down Iowa City referring to their gravel as a champagne of gravel for many, many years. Yeah. Well, you can say whatever you want. I want them to fight it out. <laughs> <laughs> the numbers don't lie, though. Yeah. Uh, so I, th- I think that, um, you know, I've, I've heard from a source that shall remain anonymous that uh, athlete sponsor contracts for next year are including um, bonuses for winning at certain events, at certain events. So they're not going to pay them what they were paying them unless they win. Yeah. Which I is get performance-based uh, incentive. So how does that affect events? Well, they're doing the Lance Armstrong method. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, last year we saw people complaining that so-and-so didn't stop at the aid station and dropped, a, dropped their, you know, their hydration pack and kept riding and, or so-and-so was drafting off their boyfriend, and that's not fair. Well, I'm telling you what, if there's performance-based incentives, worse. it's going to get way worse. And we haven't even <laughs> talked about the peds. Right. <laughs> I mean, I we've talked about on the podcast, I don't give a crap about so-and-so on so-and-so's wheel. Yeah. If it's a mass start, yeah, every wheel's available. Right. Get over it. Don't care about gender. Don't yep. care. Yep. Get over it. If you're on that course, you have every right to draft that wheel. It could be a 200-mile race. You could draft that wheel for 199.9 and sprint at point one <laughs> and win. Yeah. Guess what? You were the smarter one. Yeah. You know, because we've had that conversation. If it's such a big deal to you that someone's drafting you, like you said, pull over. Yeah. Stop. Yeah. And don't continue till they're in front of you. Right. You know? So, sorry. That covers that, though. I think you guys know where I stand. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no. <laughs> so, anyway, looking looking ahead at 2023, it's going to be interesting from a lot of standpoints. Um, a lot of this bears watching as far as, you know, athlete yeah. sponsorship stuff goes. Because I think it's going to affect the gravel side of things. It, we haven't heard anything yet. We don't know anything yet other than that contract uh, incentive thing, which I was told about. But I think you're going to see, you're definitely going to see some upheavals because if I'm, what I'm hearing comes true with brands being consolidated into other companies and some brands may disappear altogether. And if they have people that are, they're sponsoring on the gravel side, you know, that's going to be, well, be interesting. Where do you think gravel really stacks up in the industry? I mean, I would still think road biking's number one. No, no? not by a long shot. Road, really? Yeah, road bike sales have dropped off consistently since about 2016, if you look at the numbers. Yeah, the road bike sales have been awful. And the industry, the people that are embedded in the industry would dearly love to see road bike sales come back, and they keep trying to push that. But it's just people aren't really? interested. I know more people that, well, that's also I'm in Iowa, land of Ragbri. Sorry. Mm-hmm. But I know more people who bought brand new road bikes and then they think about their gravel bike. Yeah. 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 Well, there'll probably be a lot of cheap uh, road bikes out there yeah. <laughs> for what we're hearing is true. But so, um, where do you think gravel falls into the, you know, into the. You know, the industry doesn't keep track of gravel as a category. It's all slammed into 700 C wheel sales. So that was a problem with 29ers when they started getting popular too in the 20 in the 2000s. Nobody knew. And a lot of these companies don't want to release sales figures. But so we we can't really look to them for uh solid numbers, but we can look at what the attendance of events are. And if the attendance of, of events is any indication, these people are showing up with bikes suitable to ride on gravel, where are they getting them? Yeah. So obviously gravel bike sales are and if you look at what people are coming out with new product wise, if you don't have something gravel oriented in your sock line or in your shoe line or in your rain outwear line, or, you know, everybody's got something gravel because that's the hot category that and e-bikes. I so, just got a good product line. We need to market. What's that? Gravel baby wipes. 
I think actually somebody does those. Oh, God. <laughs> Get the grit out of your bum. <laughs> that would be the hashtag. I think somebody does that. Oh, that's sad. Yeah, I, I think I heard about something like that last year. But, yeah, I mean, it, it's gra- gravels everything, you know I mean? And so, you know, because of that, that's the hot category. That and e-bikes are the hottest categories in cycling. They're, only a gro- they're the only growth categories in cycling for the last several years. Well, gravel so, came from nowhere. Right. E-bikes came from nowhere. So, right. But mountain bike sales have been flat to yeah. declining. Road bike sales have been declining. Uh, 700C hybrid bike sales have been steady, but they, they aren't gaining any ground. And so, well, this is something I wanted to mention earlier about demand and people think that there's more cyclists now than ever. Well, the, you know, let's say there are. Let, I'll give you, I'll grant you that point, but the infrastructure hasn't changed. No. And so when people find out it's not safe to cycle, they're going to quit. Yeah. And so if, unless you start changing the way our cities are made and the way our roads are set up and start controlling people that are out of control with their phones and distractions while they drive, uh, you're, you're not going to get people to cycle on the roads. No. It's just not going to happen because it's not safe. In so many communities, people are getting killed and maimed and run over. And, you know, people aren't stupid. They see that. Yeah, I follow, you know? uh, <laughs> I follow uh, Go Bike Buffalo, I think, up yeah. there in Buffalo, New York. It's mm-hmm. their version of their bike collective. And they've been doing some pretty good infrastructure projects. Uh, how much of that is really on their marketing side and how much is already in the works, I don't know. Um, but they do a good job of pointing out where they've had some wins. And there was a dual directional bike lane. It was a protected bike lane. And you had cars parking in it because it was near a park and people Mm -hmm. didn't want to pull into the park. So they would roll their car into the protected bike lane. It looked like just park and then go take their dogs for a walk. Yep. Yep. You know, so that's, that's the other obstacle. You can get the infrastructure there. Right, keep cars out of it, it's the other thing. Yes, the enforcement, right? So, yeah, until we change that, um, you know, you, you may sell more bikes here and there, but to, to actually grow the pie, you're going to have to change, you're going to have to change car, there has to be less cars, well, I not think more. I, I think know? we need a dynamic shift in our culture, and this kind of goes back right. to my feelings on Waterloo. Like, we should not be issuing any more new construction permits for anything, Unless you're going to go like to the mall complex, unless you're going to tear down a section of the mall and build new on that right, site. Right. We should not be taking any more land. Right. I would agree with that. You know, and even in town here, like where we got the houses are halfway down mm-hmm. already, you know, I mean. And they're building new streets and stuff and none of them have any bike well, infrastructure on them at all. Well, there's that and the, you know, <laughs> we, we spent what? $150,000 for new lights downtown. And here we are grimacing. Uh, yeah, quibbling and whining, but we spent 150k downtown for a tower of lights, but yet your street yeah. has a crap ton of potholes in it. Yeah, you know, <laughs> I know. Like, yeah, I, yeah, it's just goofy. We need to get get our heads straight, you know. Um, but you know, the, getting back to the point of demand and and cycling is it's just not going to increase. You're not going to get those people out of those cars unless you no. make it attractive to get out of those cars. And give them incentives, you know. So right now, that's not happening. Yeah, it's the bike industry against the world, and here in the United States, anyway. And uh, so that's why gravel has grown as much as it has because you can go out and ride a gravel road and not have to worry about getting killed. Yeah, you know, and that's part of the part of the appeal to that, and that's why that's one of the reasons that category of cycling has grown the way it has, and it's easy to find places to go do it. So, anyway. Okay. That's sort of my point. Well, before we close up, I'd like to thank you all. We've been growing this podcast because of you. Mm-hmm. Um, tell your friends. Tell them that, you know, you don't like me, but I'm interesting. I might make <laughs> you laugh once in a while. Uh, you can find us on Apple, Amazon, Google, um, Spotify. Spotify, and uh, Podcast Anchor, 2.0. Anchor FM. Anchor FM, yep. And uh, also, we should mention Bike Rags, our sponsor. I don't know. We did that at the beginning. We did we? not. I completely brain dumped it. Tony, <laughs> we're going to start the podcast over again. <laughs> if you play this in reverse, I swear you won't hear anything evil. 
<laughs> but we want to thank uh, Bike Rags, who's been a longtime sponsor of ours. They do um, promotional materials. Uh, they do um, hats and koozies and things for your events. They do T-shirts. They do jerseys, outerwear. So just get a hold of Tony at bikeragsapparel.com. We'll put the link in the show notes as we always do. And we want to thank him for supporting us this year. This will probably be the last podcast we do this year. I'm around next week. Are you? Yeah. Are we going to do another one next week? Okay, that'll be the last one. Yeah. Suspense is killing you we'll all. Have to, we'll have to do a year in review thing. So uh, Yeah, we could. Anyway. Ooh, I've done, I might be your longest co-host. I think we went past 11 episodes, you and me. Well, yeah. I don't know how many Andy and I did. I'll have to check into that. Okay. He did, he did quite a few. but Yeah, he did. But. Yeah. Well, we'll see. Anyway, so thanks for listening, folks. This is the Riding Gravel Radio Ranch. We'll be back again, I guess, this year yet. So we're not done yet. Right? Not if I have anything to say about it. All right. It. Mr. Roll says we're not done, so we're not done. We'll find something else to be scandalous about. All right. Sounds great. Thanks, for everyone, for listening. This is Guitar Ted over and out. <laughs>